How y'all doing this morning? Thank you. I don't know who you are, but I love you. The one, she was just clapping for me. Yeah. Um, y'all, bear with me. I'm a little tired this morning. For the past week and a half, I'd actually say two weeks, I've been averaging three hours of sleep at night. So uh, bear with you, boy. All right? Um, but aside from that, happy belated Thanksgiving. Huh? And, yeah, you can clap for that. Yes. But more importantly, Merry Christmas. <laughs> Y'all don't understand. I've been waiting since January 1st, 2022 to say those words. <laughs> I love Christmas time. I told her, I told him first service, I'm like, what you call it from Elf? I just go crazy when Christmas time comes around. I get sad once Christmas is over because it seems like New Year's is right there and then January 1st is here and what tends to happen is the very loving people revert back to very hateful people. So I love the Christmas festivities. I love the Christmas time. I love the cold weather. Although in Texas, you get it, then you lose it. I don't know what's going on. But anyway, hey, I hope over the Thanksgiving break, you got to just enjoy family. I hope you got to eat some good food. I, I hope you got to rest. And I hope you got to just watch some TV. Yeah, yeah? I love that. So that was an amen right there. Y'all already know that I, I didn't get to rest. I've been having trouble sleeping, but also I've been preparing for this message. But uh, I did get to eat with my family. I hadn't seen my family in so long, and it was just a great time hanging out with them. Me and my little sister, we hugged for like 40 seconds when we saw each other. Love her to death, man. I was like, what? She just jumped up, and I grabbed her. She's a little mini-me. But while I didn't get to rest, I got to watch movies. One thing you may not know about me, and I love introducing something new about myself anytime I'm up here, is that I am a big movie guy, right? I love watching movies. I love watching old movies. I love watching new movies. I love watching movies I had seen before over and over again. And over the Thanksgiving break, I got to see a movie that I had never seen before. It was about this young lady who had been taken away from her family at a young age, and her captor kept her and refused to allow her to interact with the world and have an understanding of it. And the time while he had her in his captivity, she started thinking and looking towards him as a parental figure and feeling like he was her protector. Essentially what happened is 17 years later, she was rescued from him and returned to her biological family. Now this is where the movie starts. And what happens from the beginnings is it starts progressing to showing her struggle with accepting her biological family as her actual biological parents because she was still attached to the idea of her captor being her parental figure. And y'all, as I was watching this, I was frustrated. I was just like, come on, I want you desperately to be able to experience the newfound freedom that you have. I want you to be able, you and your family, to just experience the fullness of joy of what has been provided for you. I want you to thrive. I want you to just understand that you're in a better place. So I'm sitting there, I'm watching that, and I'm rubbing my head because I have no hair to pull out, right? (laughs) And then I had to remind myself, Brandon, this is a movie. But then a situation happened in the movie, and a line happened that broke me. She went to go visit her captor in jail. 
And she sat before her captor and she looked up at his face and said this, I don't know what the worst thing to have ever happened to me is. Is it spending my life with you or not being able to spend the rest of my life with you? And I was broken. I was frustrated beyond frustration. I was angry. I was upset. I'm standing, looking at the TV. My dog's looking at me. I'm looking back at my dog. I'm like, are you seeing this? Because I'm seeing this, and this is frustrating, and I can't believe it. And I'm not frustrated with her, but I'm frustrated with the situation and a little bit frustrated with her. But then in the moment, I started to realize that I connected with this girl in ways that I had never connected with her before because the idea dawned on me that she was wrestling with the idea of believing that what she had been freed from is better than what she had been freed to. And you see, as believers, we interact with that all the time. Whenever we look back at what God has rescued us from and start to think, maybe that's not so bad. Right? It would be more comfortable to do this, more suitable to do it in this culture, in this climate. And, and really, it might feel better to me than what God has called me to do. We've all been there where the worldly way of doing things seemed more desirable than God's will. And there's various things that can happen that would influence us to do that. It could be temptation. It could be enduring trials and tribulations, struggling. It can be a season of spiritual apathy. It can be a number of things. I readily admit to you that I myself am in a season of spiritual apathy right now. Not that I'm saying, God, you're not worthy. Not that I don't love God. But the fire and passion that I once had about my faith or that I've had before just ain't burning like it burned before. And I need you to understand this, that I'm not jumping off the boat. So don't worry. Right? Because being in this situation, being in this place where you can look at the Lord and, 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 and really look, desire what he has freed us from rather than what he has freed us to can lead you to think that maybe you don't want to continue to live out this faith or maybe you want to live it out in a manner in which you honor God or you love God, but you just want to live worldly. I'm not there. But I want to tell you that anybody who is in here struggling with spiritual apathy, one, you are not alone, two, you are not a monster. It was a normal thing, right? Ultimately, the reason why we have this experience of where we start to wrestle with the idea of believing what we have been freed from is better than what we have been freed to is because while we have this new identity in Christ and while the Spirit lives inside of us, we also have this flesh to contend with and sinful desires that we need to surrender to God. This morning, I want to dive into Hebrews, and I want to look at the way that God says, or the prescription that God has for addressing the mindset of when we think that what we have been freed from is better than what we have been freed to. Now, to be, to be clear, what we have been freed from is sin. It's dominion over our lives in a worldly way of living. What we have been free to is a new identity in Christ in which the Holy Spirit indwells in us and allows us to live righteously, and not just allows us, but empowers us to. Right. I want to dive in Hebrews and see what does the author have to say about how we should address this? 
Now, in Hebrews, I need you to understand it's a weighty, it's a weighty deep, great book. And, and, and I say that because I need to let you know something else about me, why I am a cool young brother. Well, I'm not young anymore, <laughs> right? Why am I a good-looking brother? You know what I'm saying? I am also a Bible nerd. Y'all, I love the Bible. I read in this thing. So things that seem weighty and deep, man, I just love that. In fact, the Bible is the only thing I am great with details at. Anything else, you can have details in an email, and I will completely miss it. But I love it. It is great. It is weighty. It is deep. But at the same time, there's some unknowns in the book of Hebrews. All right? We don't know who the author is, and we don't know with complete certainty who the original recipients of the letter is. However, when you study the letter, you can surmise some truths from it. First, we know that the author of this letter knew the recipients very well, right? And then also when you're studying, you can see that the recipients were Jews had professed Christ as their Messiah. Okay. In Hebrews 10.37, it tells us not only that they had professed Christ as the Messiah, but they had endured and experienced intense trials and tribulations, mistreatment, and the confiscating of their property. We also know that they were immature. They lacked the knowledge that they should have had already. And this was not because they didn't have it, it was because they didn't seek it. Hebrews 5 says, you should be eating meat, but you're still on milk. We also know that at some point of time in their spiritual life, in their new life in Christ, they were steady in their faith. Hebrews 10, 32 and 35 tells us that. But however, at the writing of this letter, they were wavering in their faith. See, these Jewish Christians were wrestling with the idea of reverting back to Judaism, or at least involving the practices of the law in their Christianity. And the author, not wanting them to fall into these practices, wrote them a letter encouraging them to maturity, discouraging them from going backwards, and proving to them that Christ is better. Now, I'm not under the impression that anybody in here is struggling with going back to Judaism. However, it might be. I don't know. But I do believe that all of us in here have wrestled with the idea of looking back at what God has rescued us from with admiring eyes. So we're going to dive into Hebrews and figure out what does God have to say about addressing that mentality. So in Hebrews chapter, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, we see the author giving a subtle warning on neglecting the faith. In Hebrews chapter, one, verse one, chapter 2, verse 1, it starts off like this. For this reason, we must pay attention all the more to what we have, ha what we have heard so that we will not drift away. Now, the phrase for this reason is synonymous with the word therefore, which means everything that is being advised in this, ver in this verse is on the basis of everything that has been said prior to the verse being written. So in chapter 1, what is taking place is that the author starts showing the nature of Jesus. It says here, the Son of God is the radiance of God's glory and the exact nature of God. 
Then he goes forth to show and prove through Old Testament scripture that Jesus is more superior, is better than the angels. I love that. You keep amening. Yes. Now, the reason he does this is because what he is doing is addressing a worship issue. And he needed to address a worship issue before he could fully prescribe the answer to the problem when the mindset when we're believing that what we have been saved from is better than what we have been brought to. And the worship issue was this, is that Jews were practicing Judaism, had a tendency to worship angels. They revered them. Rabbis would teach things about the angels that weren't in the Old Testament, elevating them to higher positions, and anyone who was practicing Judaism was exposed to that. So you have these Jewish Christians who prior to becoming Christians were probably exposed to this mindset, now reverting back to it, and challenged, and com- challenged, were challenged by the idea of comprehending that Jesus is better. And because of that, they were wrestling with the idea that what they had been freed from was better than what they had been freed to. So the author takes a whole chapter of showing them that Jesus is better. Not only is he better, he created them. Now, here's the thing. Angels aren't to be worshipped. In Revelation 22, 9, when John fell down to worship the angel that had revealed all these things to him, the angel rebuked him instantly saying, get up, don't worship me, I am a servant like you. I have a question for you today. Anyone in here today who is wrestling with the idea, wrestling with the thought that what you have been brought from, what you have been freed from is better than what you have been freed to, my question for you is, what are you worshiping? What is monopolizing your time and attention? What is influencing your actions? What is taking precedent over Jesus? And whatever that is, if it's not Jesus, let me let you know what the author has already stated in chapter one. Jesus is better. Yeah, yeah. So now, chapter 2, he says, for this reason, because Jesus is better, we must pay attention all the more to what we have heard. Now, this phrase, pay attention, means this. We must look to and live out this truth. So what he's saying is this. Hey, you must look to the idea and hold fast to the idea that Jesus is better and live your life on the basis of that so that you won't drift away. Right? Do this so that you don't. And the idea, the phrase drift away gives the idea of a boat that is not sure to a permanent, is not anchored to a permanent structure being carried out to sea by the waves. Now, I don't want you to miss something. I don't want you to miss this, that the boat itself is not operating under its own power to go out to the waves. It is simply being carried away by the waves because it is not anchored. The same way culture or anything that we are enduring can carry us away if we are not anchored to Jesus. So he says, hey, I need you to hold fast and live on the truth that Jesus is better so that you are not carried away. This means you need to address your worship issues and worship God. You need to live in that so that you are not carried away by your culture, excuse me, by the culture, by emotions, by experiences, by trials, by tribulations, by pains. Hey, one thing that I need to state, and I need to jump back here, one of the reasons why these Jewish Christians may be reverting back to Judaism is because 
or possibly because the Emperor Nero was persecuting Christians because of their faith. So it could have been persecution that was leading them back this way. They also had Jewish sects in their ear just telling them, hey, you know what, Judaism isn't bad. Persecution has a route to play in our drifting away. So he says, hold fast to this. Jesus is better. Don't lose that. For anyone that was in here, I'm going to say it again. Jesus is better. It's better than whatever is going on in your life. Now hear me, I'm not saying what is not, what's going on in your life is not real. I'm just saying that while it may hurt, while it may sting, while it may frustrate, while it may paralyze, we must remember that it is not better than Jesus. You need to come up here with me. He continues on moving then from the person of Jesus being better to the work of Jesus being better. In chapter 2, verse 3, excuse me, in chapter 2, verse 2, all the way to 3a, he says this. For if the message spoken through angels were legal, was legally binding and every transgression and disobedience received a just punishment, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Now, Again, I'm a Bible nerd, and maybe some of you look at this passage and you're like, hey, what's going on here? They're saying angels were present or delivering the law of Moses? So let me address that before we start unpacking that verse, okay? In Exodus 19 and 20, you do not see angels being present as deliverers of the law. However, in other Old Testament passages, you start to see that angels are stated as being present when it is happening. Deuteronomy 33, 2, Psalm 68, 17. And going further into the New Testament, you see Acts 7, 5, 2, and Galatians 3, 19 say that they were administers and deliverers of this law. So there's traditional belief widely held that angels were deliverers of the law. Okay. And in this moment, what is happening is while these Jews, Jewish Christians are starting to think about going back to this Judaism, they are thinking about aligning themselves to something that can only give a temporal blessing. See, if you follow the law, you got a temporal blessing. If you didn't, you got consequences. And the law was something that was admitted to a unique nation, a unique God's nation of Israel for their blessing in the land. And they're wanting to align themselves with this, draw allegiance to this, because again, they have a worship problem. And their worship problem is leading them to have allegiance and give obedience over to something that is temporal and never had eternal blessings attached to it. And the author is saying, hey, if you're willing to do this, why would you not be willing to give allegiance and obedience over to something greater, something better, this great salvation that has eternal implications, eternal blessings attached to it? Why would you align yourself with the temporal rather than the eternal? Again, there's a worship problem. Now, the great salvation, when they're talking about neglect, it says, why wouldn't you pay attention to, put more focus on this great salvation? That's what neglect means. This great salvation is not the idea of losing your faith. It is not a salvation talking about when you become a believer and you have this a new identity. In fact, there's various beliefs on this. 
But one of the beliefs that this great salvation is, it is looking to the futuristic experience of the salvation that we will have because of Christ Jesus. Right? Most of the times in, in Hebrews, they're talking about salvation in a futuristic way. And this futuristic way that they're talking about is when we are before Christ at the judgment seat of Christ, where he sits down with us and observes our life based on the time that we are saved to the time that we have died or either when he has come back. And he either rewards or takes rewards on, from us based on how we have lived our lives for him and our motives. And some of you are sitting there right now and say, oh my gosh, that sounds like work-based salvation. That sounds like you have to earn something. And let me let you know that none of this is work-based because the very fact that you are sitting before Christ is based on the fact that God has done a work that we couldn't, which is make ourselves righteous. So the righteous people are righteously sitting before Jesus, not on the basis of their work, but on the basis of Jesus' work. And then anything that we have done in righteousness has only been done because the Holy Spirit has rested inside of us, empowering us to do these things so all of it is grace upon grace upon grace and is the choice of whether or not you're going to operate in the spirit or not so God is like hey I'm going to bless you for doing what I've empowered you to do or I'm going to take away from you from not doing it but either way it is not because you were able to do it on yourself on your own aside from me I need a breath he says, how would you neglect something that is much better, that is eternal? What is going on here? Why don't you align yourself? Don't neglect. Cut, allow yourself to look at this eternal as better than the temporal. But first, you got to accept that Jesus is better to realize that his work is better. Here's the thing, though. We tend to do this in our own lives, too. When we miss the concept that Jesus is better, what is temporal can take precedence over what is eternal. As a high school pastor, I see this all the time. Where I have students willing to do it for the gram, but not for the gospel. Okay, and I don't mean that to knock or my students at all. This is not a knock on them. In fact, I love my students very much. It is actually an assessment of where culture is right now. But adults, we have our own things that we'll put allegiance to that are temporal rather than eternal as well. Our jobs, man, we'll let our jobs run us ragged. We'll place our identity in our jobs. We'll, we'll place our allegiance in our job. We'll let our job take precedent over the Lord. How about our sports teams? Ooh, what about that? And you know what's funny? What's funny that in the state of Texas, whenever Dallas Cowboys are playing, church attendance goes down. Uh oh. What's going on there? Since when did the Cowboys offer anything that was eternal? In fact, let's think about it. The Cowboys have consistently offered us nothing but temporal hope. Every year, everybody gets up, we're going to the Super Bowl. And every year, we start back, well, what about next year? All right? Let's go a little bit further. This one might sting a little bit. We'll give allegiance to families over God. This is what happens when we don't see or don't accept and, and fix our eyes to and live our life out on the fact that Jesus is better. It is a domino effect because then his work is not seen as better as well. 
In chapter 2, verse 3b through 4, he continues on the narrative and encouraging and proving that Jesus' work is better by reminding them of how they experienced the gospel. It says this, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? I already said that. This salvation had its beginning when it was spoken of by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. At the same time, God also testifies by signs and wonders, various miracles and distributions of gifts from the Holy Spirit according to his will. He says this, hey, remember when you heard the gospel? You didn't hear it from Jesus, but you heard it from people who heard it from Jesus. You got an account of the gospel from people who had a firsthand account of who the gospel is based on. They told you of all the things that he did. You got to hear with such passion about the gospel. But not only that, you got to hear the preaching of the gospel from those who God had given this Holy Spirit and the power of signs and miracles from too. So you saw various signs and miracles affirming and confirming the power and the betterness, the greatness, the superiority of the gospel. You remember that? No. Why? What happened? Because you've forgotten Jesus is better. You haven't fixed your eyes on that. So now the gospel isn't better. And what has happened is that now our life experiences, because I don't know if you know this, life, while it is fun, it is hard. Life brings hardships. This morning I got a text at about 6 a.m. And look, I'm not going to lie. At 6 a.m. on a Sunday, and the time that I've been wrestling with sleep and I had just got about 10 minutes of sleep, I was not happy. I didn't know who it was, but I wasn't thinking good things about that person. Turned out that person was my friend on a group chat telling me that my friend from another job that I had just previously worked at was sick. And not only was he sick, but he had to be rushed to the hospital. And as we rushed at the hospital, we had to have a triple bypass. After having a triple bypass, he had complications with that surgery and right now he is sick he is in the bed he is in ICU just leaning on life just a little bit that is what life offers us sometimes not all the time but it can be hard Tammy just came up here talking about economic need and how the church is providing in that way how you guys help us to provide because we are the church yes Economic situations right now are not the greatest. People are in need. Life is hard. Thanksgiving, while some are celebrating, some are not, because holidays are traumatic remembrances. Life can be hard. And when we are not fixed on our eyes on Jesus, just like these Jewish Christians are, you start to lean back and look back to, hey, what I was freed from might be better than what I was freed to. And because of that, the author is looking at them, not wanting this for them, challenging them not to continue in this drifting, but to fix their eyes on Jesus. Not just to fix their eyes on Jesus, but to, oh my gosh, set their minds to the fact that Jesus is better set their minds to the fact that the gospel is better and not just set their minds but live their lives based on that truth now everything that they experience and understand this we are prone to experiencing it ourselves i just talked about how life is hard 
I just talked about how there's so much to do. There's so, man, we are just a busier and busier generation. I thought my, my, I thought my kids was busy. Man, when I look at people's lives, gosh, they're busy. I got a homeboy who's got seven kids, and every time I talk to him, he's out at somebody's sporting event, and I'm like, Lord, I'm not ready for that ministry. <laughs> just whipping and running. Things that can distract you from realizing or committing, excuse me, committing your mind to the fact that Jesus is better. And when we're not doing that, we are prone to drifting away. We are prone that in our times of struggle, in our times of need, in the times when we wake up with our spouse and look at them and say, I'd rather put the pillow over your face right now. Some of you laughed way too hard. If you were that person's spouse, Keep 911 right there. Just 91 and wait for that extra one. All right, I'm praying for you. But all of these things, these distractions and not paying attention to Jesus, all of these hardships can lead us to drifting away and thinking, you know what, what God has rescued me from is better than what he has rescued me to. And for us, the answer that God has for us, as he has spoken it through the author, is the same answer the author was giving it to the Jewish Christians. We must commit our minds to the person, the work, and the future salvation, excuse me, the person and work of Jesus Christ and the future salvation that is to come because there is nothing better. There is nothing better. I'm telling you right now. Most of the things that we try to run back to are things that we think is going to provide our comfort. There is nothing better. If formerly you've been rescued from sexual promiscuity and you found your identity in sex, I'm going to tell you right now, there is nothing better than Jesus and the work that he has done in the future that is to come. There is nothing better than the author, the one who has created sex, the author and finisher of it, experiencing it in his will and his way and his power. If you're a person who used to be divisive and you got pleasure out of being divisive, one, please do not come around me. I'm just kidding. Right? But let me let you know there's nothing better than Jesus. There's nothing better than his worth. There's nothing better than his future salvation. And there's nothing better than existing in a life in which you can pursue reconciliation and not have hatred weighted upon your heart. When we are going through things, there is nothing better than being held fast to the concept that Jesus is better, that his ministry is better, and that the future salvation that we are experiencing is better. Nothing is better, and no way that we, uh, and escaping back to the past is not going to help you. And, and, and hmm, I'm going to say this real quick. I, I probably, and I said this first service, and I mean it. I, I don't mean it, but I feel it. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to come up here and preach up here anymore. This is probably going to be my last time because every time I have a message like this, God uses me as a lab rat in order to tell y'all about the truth of his experiences. And Lord, I am tired of experiencing that thing. Last night, I'm not going to lie, actually this whole week I've been dealing, shoot, this whole month I've been dealing with spiritual warfare. This week it just intensified. Yesterday it was even worse as I've been sitting in this message that was partially fixed, partially finished, and could not do a thing, and I'm crying out to God, and I'm tired, and I'm like, Lord, I want this to stop. Every time I try to develop a message, every time you call me to do the thing that you tell me to do, it always happens that I'm having spiritual warfare happen. I can't think. I feel insignificant. I don't want to do this. I'm tired of the wrestling. Why won't you do something, God? And then you know what happened? My big 40-year-old behind called my mama. 
I called my mom and I said, Mom, can I come home? I'm done. My mama said, no, baby. You know what's going on. This is spiritual warfare. And you think I'm your lifeline, but I am not. I can't be the thing that is better. It's temporal over here. I need you to hold fast to the idea and the truth that Jesus is better, that his work is better, that the future salvation for you is better. Don't come this way. Stay your behind up there. Then I was like, all right, mama. I hung up the phone, but you know what? My feelings hadn't caught up with the truth. But let me tell you something. With this truth, sometimes you just need to operate in this thing until your feelings catch up with it. So I'm sitting there in that moment still frustrated. Then you know what started to happen? People started texting me. Brother, I'm praying for you. Hey, let me pray for you. How you feeling right now? Am I transparent behind not going to sit there and lie because I've been rescued from lying about how I feel. So I told them, I'm feeling bad. I'm in a bad spot. I need your prayer. You know what? They started encouraging me. Jesus is better. His gospel is better. The future to come that is better. Then I woke up this morning still feeling jacked up. Walked my happy-go-lucky behind right into that prayer room and had a bunch of brothers and sisters praying for me, reminding me that Jesus is better. Sometimes you can't hold fast to that truth on your own, so you need friends and community to hold you up. That's what we need to believe in and walk in today. Commit your mind to the truth that Jesus is better, his gospel is better, the salvation that we have to come is better, and there is nothing else better. I'm tired. Look, we don't just need to be giving this message to ourselves. The world needs to know that Jesus is better, that his gospel is better, and there is an eternal kingdom that is better than anything else this historic kingdom can offer. We are sent to this generation. Y'all thought the series was over, but it's not. We are sent to this world. And if you don't believe that the world needs Jesus, just look at what's been going on the past couple of weeks. We've had a shooting at a university campus which led three football players dead. We had a shooting on a Walmart, leaving others, several others dead in Virginia. And we recently had a shooting at an LGBTQ club in Colorado Springs. And I'm gonna say this because this is true. It's true for all, but some of us look at people and we say, hey, you're not living for the Lord, so you deserve a just punishment. Let me tell you, everybody in that club, God didn't think they were worthy of dying. He thought that he was worthy of dying for them. We just celebrated Thanksgiving, and if you had nothing to be thankful about, let me give you one thing to be thankful about before I wrap up. If you have been drifting away, if you have been living in full drift, let me let you know this Jesus that is better is not looking at you with disdain. He is looking at you with desire. He wants you to be anchored to him so you're not carried away by culture, but held up by Christ and the gospel. Let me pray for you. Lord, God, start working these messages through somebody else. This is tiring. <laughs> All jokes aside, I thank you. 
I thank you for being the God who has pursued us tirelessly, has given his life up for us, even when we have wrestled in our heart with desiring the things that you have rescued us from. I pray that everyone in here can commit their lives to the truth that you are better, your gospel is better, and we have a greater kingdom that is better than the one that we are existing in now. God, and for those who are struggling with that, may you supernaturally, internally encourage them and externally encourage them through community. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the future in which we will one day experience where there will be no more desires for the past. No more pain, no more sorrow, just everlasting joy in your presence. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, Merry Christmas. Go home. <laughs> Y'all have a good one.